0: church. Good morning. Can I get you to stand? I I don't know about you, but I love that song. It does something to me. Can we sing that chorus, please? Can we sing that chorus? Let's sing that chorus as a church this morning. But sing it this morning with your heart of hearts. Amen. How many awake this morning? Amen. So let's, let's sing that song like you've never sung that song before in your life. Amen. Let us worship the King. Sing it, brother. Your name
1: name is a strong and mighty town. Oh, we sing from our hearts. Hallelujah. It is a shelter like a water. Your name let the nations sing it louder for nothing has the power to say. Raise your voice. Baby. Your name is a strong and mighty tower. Your name is a shelter like no other. Your name, let the nations sing it louder. nothing has the power.
0: the name of Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. At the the count of three, we're going to say Jesus. Amen? One, two, three.
1: Jesus. Jesus.
0: One more time. One, two, three. Jesus. Amen. Amen. Let us pray together before you sit down. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning, and we thank you for the opportunity that you've given to us to come into this place to worship you in spirit and in truth. We thank you so much for the salvation that you've blessed us with, Lord God. And we thank you so much for the health that we have, Lord God, even though there are some struggles. We thank you so much for the gift of life that we have today. We magnify your holy name, as the song said. Father, we magnify your holy name. We thank you so much for the liberty you give us to be able to gather like this this morning. There are so many believers in the world over that do not have this freedom. This morning we take advantage of this time. This morning we declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. We magnify your holy name and we thank you so much for the liberty to be able to do so this morning in this place. Father, bless us now as we, as we get ready to get into your word this morning. Help us to understand what it means to worship in spirit, and in truth. These things we pray in Jesus' name. And God's people say, Amen. Amen. Before we dismiss, you may be seated, but before we dismiss the children, uh, Brother Eddie here this morning? Is he here? Did he step out already? Oh, oh, he's, he's counting. Okay, so the children are dismissed at this time. So good morning church. Let me give be, let me begin by saying that you look beautiful this morning. Oh, some of you did a really good job in the mirror this morning. You look good, you smell good. Amen somebody. Thank God for that. Thank you guys for coming out this morning. So, what I want to do is I want to begin a new series today. <clears throat> and in my heart and in my mind, it's a very important series. And it's a series that I want I, it's, to it's, I build up towards our Christmas service. Uh, but it's important to understand what it means. Look up on your screen what it means to actually worship the Lord in spirit and in truth. It's a relevant theme or topic or series Because not everybody truly understands what it means to worship our Heavenly Father. What it means to worship our God. Not everybody understands what that actually means. What is worship? What does it look like? What does it sound like? Were we engaging in worship here this morning? Yes, very much so. But is that what worship truly is? No. It's just an element of what worship truly is. It's a phenomenal part of worship. Because I love to come into the house of the Lord. Thank you, baby. I love to come into God's house and to actually sing songs. Sing praises. How many know that God is worthy to be praised? Amen. God is worthy to be praised. But worship is actually more than singing a song. And my objective in this sermon series is to answer some of those questions, if not All of those questions. My goal is to clearly define the purpose or the role of worship in the life of a child of God. Did you know that? God has a purpose for us. And His purpose in our lives is rooted and grounded in worship. So it behooves us as God's people to understand as quickly as we possibly can... What is God's purpose in my life with regard to worship? The Bible says that we are to be worshipers, true worshipers. In fact, we're going to discuss a verse verse here this morning that actually is going to challenge us with regard to worship. God says that He truly, Jesus said in this one particular passage we're going to get into this morning, that God the Father is seeking worshipers that will worship Him In spirit and in truth. Excuse me. The title that I have for you this morning for this passage, for this message, is New Beginnings. And the reason why I've titled it New Beginnings is because I want to begin with the commencement of Jesus Christ's public ministry. The beginning of his ministry. What did it look like? What did it sound like? What was his emphasis to his disciples and to the followers, to everyone pretty much that came to hear what it is he had to say? What did Jesus Christ emphasize early on in his ministry? We also want to talk about the offer that he was and is presenting to the world as we know it today. I believe that that is where You and I can truly, truly come to understand what Jesus Christ, what his purpose was when he came to earth. What it is to be a true worshiper. Turn your Bibles, please, to John chapter 4. When you have it, when you find it, say a big and hearty amen. Oh, you didn't get it yet. You didn't get it yet. But that's all right. That's all right. You can say amen whenever you want. Huh? The finger did the. Well, that, that was fast. John chapter 4. John chapter 4. Amen. And I'm, I want to challenge you. I want to challenge you. We, we're going to do some religious exercises this morning. Those of you who can stand for the reading of God's word, please do so. <coughs> John chapter 4, and we're going to begin in verse 19. John chapter (coughs) 4. Everybody's got it. Yes. Amen. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. The Savior of the world. Father, we thank you this morning for the reading of your word, and we pray for the inspiration. Help us to understand what you have to say to us this morning concerning this topic of worshiping you in spirit and in truth. Father, we thank you for these things, and we pray in Jesus' name, and God's people say, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. So, when we hear the term worship, many many times and more often than not, we think about a religious service <clears throat> or a religious Christian concert. Oftentimes, in the recent past even, for me personally, I heard worship, I thought about a, it's time to go to church. I heard worship, it's time to go to some Christian concert or some some other religious activity that we associate with the term worship. The reality is that that's not what worship truly is. How often do we think of worship as an intimate moment with the Lord, a moment to truly offer ourselves to Him? How often do we think of worship in terms of intimacy with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? The reality is our culture has taught us to associate worship with religious activities. But that is not what worship truly is. Yes. If you want to consider worship from the religious stance, from the religious perspective, then yes, that's what relig- that's what worship truly is. But no, if you agree with me that worship is more than an activity that you and I can engage in. Webster's. Dictionary defines worship as following. The feeling or expression of reverence and adoration for a deity. The feeling or expression of reverence and adoration for a deity. It's it's close, but not close enough. At least not in terms of how I understand worship. It's just not... Close enough, because worship is not relegated to a feeling or an activity. Not at all. Worship is deeper than that. Listen to this. Worship is a spiritual disposition, if you will, that becomes a reality after the new birth experience. Worship is an existence within us, within the heart and soul Of a child of God that is rooted in intimacy with God. It is our spiritual posture, if you will, toward the Most High God. And only a relationship with Jesus Christ can make it all possible. Would you agree with that? Worship is more than just a feeling. Worship is a transformation that takes place in the heart and soul. The spirit of a child... ...of the Almighty God. It's my disposition. It's my, my posture toward God. Let's talk about this passage that we read here this morning. So Jesus Christ has recently started His ministry in John chapter 4. It was just relatively recent. In John chapter 1, we read about Jesus' introduction to the world by John the Baptist. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin... Of the world. In John chapter 2, Jesus Christ performs many miracles. And if you read John chapter 2, this is actually the passage where he settles the matter or the dispute, the chaos that existed back then concerning the misuse of the temple in Jerusalem. In John chapter 3, we begin learning that Jesus came to die in order for mankind to have the opportunity to be saved listen to verses 14 and 15 in John chapter 3 and as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness so must the Son of Man be lifted up that whosoever believes in him may have eternal life Jesus came to set the captives free and in John chapter 4 I love this one particular passage with all of my heart, and you're going to understand why. In John chapter 4, we read about an amazing encounter between Jesus Christ and a Samaritan woman, which in my mind perfectly symbolizes the Lord's redemptive plan and His pursuit of mankind. I'm going to read that to you again, because this is the gist of my message here today. In John chapter 4, we read about a, an encounter between, between Jesus Christ and a Samaritan woman, which perfectly symbolizes the Lord's redemptive plan for mankind and His pursuit of mankind. This story, this encounter, this scene that takes place in John chapter 4, perfectly symbolizes His purpose In coming to mankind. Let's see if we can unpack this. Look at John chapter 4 verses 5 through 10 in your Bibles. Please. I want you to read along with me. I don't just want to preach at you. I want us to study this together. John chapter 4 verses 5 through 10. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sukkar. I know it's pronounced, I mean, it's spelled S-Y-C-H-A-R, but it's pronounced Sukar. So he came to the town of Samaria called Sukar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. And Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink of water from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews had no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew, wow, what a powerful verse. If you knew the gift of God. And who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would, ha- you would have asked of him, and he would have given you living water. Verse 5 speaks of a place, Sukkar. And we're going to talk about this in the next few moments. And verse 7, it speaks of a Samaritan woman. We don't know her name, but this woman is Pretty much really and extremely significant in this particular passage. As we begin to unpack this, I want to submit to you that this particular woman is someone who actually represents lost mankind. We are this Samaritan woman. And this place called Sukkar, it means falsehood and drunkenness. This is where sinful man resides. Number one, we are this Samaritan woman. And number two, we reside or we live in this place called Sukkar. And it's the reason why Jesus Christ had to descend from heaven. Consider that for a moment. Jesus Christ is in heaven. And in eternity past, they come up with this plan. That someone had to die in the place of mankind. Can you imagine considering your mind's eye? God in heaven. There's a conversation taking place between God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And the challenge is that somebody has to descend from heaven, take on the form of human flesh, and to die for for mankind. And I can see Jesus Christ ready, willing, and able. Here am I, Lord God. Send me, I will go for them. And in Matthew chapter 18, verse 11, it actually reads, for the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. But we read about in John chapter 1 that Jesus Christ, the creator of all of mankind, He descends to earth. He comes unto His own, but His own receives Him not. And pretty much, all of mankind begins to reject Him because He's delivering a message that is strange to them. A message they have never heard before. Jesus Christ is seeking To convert mankind into true worshipers. Jesus is seeking to draw us to Himself. Not just merely to save us. Not just merely to give us a peace that the world can't give. We know those things are true. Not just merely to offer us salvation. And that's it. That's the end of the process. No, not so. He's trying to... He's trying to turn us into or create worshipers. He wants us to be more like Himself. Why did Jesus Christ come in the first place? John 3.16 Because God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believes in Him shall not perish but have everlasting life. That's the reason why He came. But the context in this one particular passage that we're looking at this morning, it, the theme is worship, and he chooses this one particular mo- this one particular woman, this Samaritan woman, to introduce this concept to mankind. You do not read about worship in the Bible prior to his encounter with the Samaritan woman. It's not as if it wasn't there. Right? Because it existed. Jesus Christ, His message in and of itself meant that we were to become true worshipers. But He truly begins to impact this topic after this one particular encounter. This woman represents you and I. It represents lost mankind. Point number one from this one particular passage is just simply the gospel message. How do we become true worshipers? That's what we're talking about here. And next week we're going to talk talk about that a little bit more uh, until we unpack it fully in our last message during that. I guess it's the I think it's December twenty. December 23rd, in order for you and I to become a true worshiper, we must begin with listening to the message of the gospel. Before I came to Jesus Christ in 1989, I had no clue what it meant to be a child of God. I had no clue that Jesus Christ died for me on the cross. I had no clue that He shed His blood for my sins. None whatsoever, much less have any inkling of an idea concerning what it means to be a worshiper. A true worshiper. I had no clue until one day someone chose to talk to me about Jesus Christ. And that is when I began to understand that there was more to life than what I was living out. And I understood for the very first time in my life that God wanted a relationship with me. Isn't that the case with you as well? Let me see your hands. Let me see your hands. It it, It was, in fact, the case for every single one of us. Let me give you an illustration here. There was a wealthy man who was always trying to get his only son to learn the family business. But the father ultimately had to choose somebody outside of the family because his son chose not to take heed to his father's instructions. His father chose not to take heed to his father's instructions. Is it possible to learn mechanics or to be an engineer or a teacher in a school or to deliver God's word? before god's people without having received some measure of training is it possible to be a teacher without some training come on say it loudly like you believe it that's right in no way shape or form is it possible to be an engineer to be a philosopher a scholar in a university without having received a thorough education in no way shape or form the illustration goes And it's a true story of a child who refused to take heed to his father's instructions. He refused to learn the business. What he wanted was just to simply be a recipient of the benefits of the company, the profits. And he wanted to abuse himself with life with the profits. He just wanted to live a life filled with pleasure. And that was it. When the time came, when he was old enough to traditionally take over the company, He was unable to do so. His father could not entrust him with the company because he had not learned the business. God desires a relationship with you and I today for the rest of our lives. It begins with listening to his instructions. It begins with the word of God. In the Old Testament, through the prophet Hosea, he said, my people perish for Linda said it. Let's try that one more time. My people perish for lack of knowledge. And in the Proverbs, one of my favorite verses in the Bible, 28, 19, I believe it is. It says, where there is no vision, the people perish. Now, of course, we're talking about perspective. Perspective cannot unfold in our lives without the word of God. Paul, Paul, the apostle put it this way. In Romans ten seventeen, he says, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. God wants to make the difference in our lives in terms of making us true worshipers, in terms of truly understanding what his will is for our lives. He wants to do it by introducing his word. He wants us to become acquainted with the gospel message with the truth of His Word for our lives. Look at the passage. Look at verse 13 and 14. John 4, 13 and 14. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him A spring of water welling up to eternal life. You notice the offer that he was making to her? And it's because of her intrigue that he was able to directly speak into her soul. Wasn't that the case with you and I when we first heard the message of the gospel? Listen, I don't know about you, but I was broken. I was so broken, I had tried everything else in life. I needed something new, something different. Something genuine, something authentic. And did you know that nothing, nothing this side of heaven or on the other side possesses the capacity to alter our spiritual DNA like the Word of God? Did you know that nothing this side of heaven possesses the capacity to change you like the Word of God? Absolutely nothing. You can go to counselors and shrinks and teachers and parents. And even your loving grandparents, nothing or no one can change you fundamentally like the Word of God can. Amen. Nothing. That's why it is important. We talked about that for a few weeks. That's why it's important for us to look into the Word of God. But that's the offer that Jesus Christ is making to her. John 8.32 says, And you shall... Oh, man, I'm testing you. Come on, people. You know that I desire. I love your participation. I got to make sure you stay awake. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. Taking heed to the gospel not only affords us salvation, but it is also the means by which God transforms our lives. For that reason, I am in love with the Word of God. Let me ask you a question. Do you want to become, if you are not already, do you want to become a true worshiper? Concerning this one particular point, in terms of becoming a true worshiper, The point is that we have to yield our lives to Christ in such a manner. Get this. Don't miss this. We have to yield our lives to God in such a manner that we allow ourselves to become as sensitive as we possibly can to the Word of God. That's where it begins. It begins with our sensitivity. Our openness, yielding our lives to the truth of the gospel. Because there cannot be an authentic worship expressed in our lives or through our lives without the, without the word of God being the base point, foundational to our lives. None whatsoever. And listen, the day that I stand up here and share something contrary to, contrary to that fact... To that reality, you run for the hills. We got a lot of voices in this world today. We got a lot of stuff that's out there. A lot of people that are preaching all sorts of different things. You can do it this way or you can do it that way. Anything that is ever offered to you that is outside the scope of the Word of God, you run for the hills. Because if it's not in the Word of God, it's capable of damning you to hell. Thank you, Jesus. Point number two. All have fallen short. We all have fallen short. What's the point there? I began with the message, the gospel message, because in order to become a true worshiper, we have to be sensitive to the word of God. I, I make this one particular point now. We're going to get into it in a few moments. Because without recognizing first and foremost that you and I are lost, we can never become true worshipers. We can never truly honor God. Listen, there are gospel messages out there that are being preached that place no emphasis whatsoever on a changed life. No emphasis whatsoever on sin. How many, how many heard messages like that? Huh? You tune into YouTube. Or you look at TBN or some of those programs like that. There are a lot of messages just like that. Lots of messages just like that. You're never going to hear any of that stuff from me. Never. Never. On the contrary, you may have to persuade me from time to time to stop talking about sin. The fact of the matter is that Jesus Christ spent a lot of time talking about it. Jesus Christ spent a lot of time rebuking demons and talking about hell. It's the reality. Now, I understand As a pastor, I don't have to go there and spend all of my time there. And I'm not going to do so. But we need to understand who we are apart from Jesus Christ. I know who I am in Christ. Let me see your hand if you know who you are in Christ. I learned long ago. It's the one reason, the one thing that drove me running to the cross in a prison cell. Somebody help me to understand who I am apart from Him. The passage that was used is Romans chapter 3, verses 10 through 18. Write that down and look that up a little bit later. It's a perfect picture of what you and I are made of apart from Jesus Christ. Romans 3. 10 through 18. I didn't need anything else. I'm sold. I ran to the altar. There's none righteous. No, not one. And it goes on from there. Look at those verses later when you get an opportunity. But look at this one passage, please. John chapter 4. 15 through 19. John 4, 15 through 19. We're talking about worship. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come here. Like what? When I first read that, like, wait a minute, wait a minute. It it didn't make sense to me. I was like, Jesus, Jesus, you kind of little incoherent there, weren't you? You're talking about water. Now you're asking this woman to come bring her husband to you, right? The reality is, Jesus Christ was talking about, she was talking about a natural water, right? She didn't realize that Jesus Christ was talking about a spiritual water that was capable of making the ultimate difference in her life. So they weren't necessarily on the same page. But she was intrigued and she kept listening. And eventually she realized, oh, wait a minute, this guy, I don't understand this. I can't put my finger on what he's really talking about, but he's all, I don't think he's offering me H2O. He's, he's offering me something different. I, I don't know what he's talking about. It's gibberish, but I want some of that. If it's going to mean that I don't have to come back to this well, then I want some of that. And she says, Jesus, give me this water so that I don't, I don't come here anymore. I don't want, I'm tired of this. They've, I don't understand why my people gave me this role." There's a lot of significance there. Read some of the commentary sets. It's it's amazing what they have to say about why she was the one delegated to come into the well. We're not going to get into that. But just think. She finally breaks down. She says, all right, Lord, give me some of that water. I want some of that stuff. I want some of that good stuff. And what does Jesus do? He said, go get your husband. (laughs) I I want to have a conversation with you and him right here. And the woman says, look at verse 17. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you are right in saying I have no husband, for you have had 5 husbands and the one you are the one you now have, ouch, is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, sir, look, look at me. She's scratching her head by this time. Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Like, in other words, you got me. You got me. I don't know how you did it, but you got me. Uh, um, but what does, what does this have to do with this water thing? Listen. Notice how she, she asked for water, but then he reaches into her personal life. In the same context. She reaches into her personal life. Does Jesus save without addressing sin? The fact is that sin is the very first thing that Jesus looks to address when we look to Him for salvation. He begins this process in our lives, this process of converting us to becoming true worshippers, truly living life to the fullest from heaven's perspective. Involving Him in our lives. That's what worship is. To live life this side of heaven with God in our hearts, minds, souls. Living for Him with all of our strength. He begins this process with speaking into our lives. Giving us a message. But then He always turns the conversation to the issue of sin. Always consider it in your life. When you get an opportunity when you leave here today. Jesus Christ always addresses the reality of sin. Because it's important, right? It's important. Let's talk about that a little bit. Romans chapter 3, verse 23. It says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We already mentioned Matthew eighteen eleven, The reason for which Jesus Christ came In the first place, he came to die for sinful humanity. He had to draw mankind to himself. And let me tell you, Jesus Christ did an awesome job. He's performing all of these miracles and he's drawing all types of people. The miracles, you can illustrate it by saying Jesus Christ was casting a net far and wide. And he was drawing in, he was pulling in all types of fish. All shapes, sizes, and colors. People came from all over the known world. But not everybody had the right motive. Most that came to see Jesus, they, they showed up with an ulterior motive. But yet the point is, from Jesus' perspective, He wanted to offer them salvation. He knew that He had to draw them into His presence in order to speak into their lives. But then He always addresses the issue of sin because we cannot know jesus christ personally without first addressing the reality of sin in our lives romans chapter 6 paul the apostle does an extremely wonderful job at addressing the issue of sin how important it is for you and i as believers because i'm not talking about i'm not talking to sinful man here this morning at least not in that active state, right? I'm talking, I'm talking to God's people here this morning. And Paul the Apostle, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, addresses this sensitive issue. We all have members in our bodies. And the instruction is that you and I have to yield our members as instruments of righteousness and not as instruments of unrighteousness. You and I as children of God have to find a way to allow Him to cleanse us through His Word so that we can live life according to His will. But we cannot live life according to God's will unless we settle the sin issue in our lives. He settles it in terms of salvation. This unconditional grace that begins to unfold in our lives. When I said yes to Jesus for the first time, I felt this newness of life on the inside of me. He settled it from eternity's perspective. But now He wanted me to understand that I had to begin yielding myself to doing the right thing. To yield myself to His Word so that He can cleanse me of the habits, the issues, some circumstances in my life that were constant. Because of the sin in my life, in order for you and I to become true worshipers, we have to yield our lives over to God. You cannot afford to go through the motions. It's the reason why the church is handicapped, if you will. Struggling in so many different ways. We got wounds all over. And I'm not talking about this church. This is a blessed church. I'm talking about the church down the street this morning. We Listen, as the body of Christ, we are handicapped in so many ways. Because God's people are coming to church and we're listening to a word. But there is relatively little application. Very little application. And it ought not to be. Jesus used this woman as a catalyst for introducing this significant yet sensitive topic to our lives. Romans 6:23 reads, "For the wages or the penalty of sin is death." The wages or the penalty of sin is death. I'm not referring to the rest of the verse because it's not relevant to what I'm saying right now. It says, "For the wages or the penalty of sin is death." If you look up that word death, it's not a a reference to physical death. Although ultimately it's included. It's a reference to this life that we ought to be living here, this side of heaven. That will not become a reality unless we commit or consecrate our lives to Jesus Christ. Galatians chapter 6 talks about that. Galatians chapter 6 verse 7 and 8. It says, be not deceived, God cannot be mocked, whatsoever a man sows, or plants, that shall he also reap. Let me ask you, if I have a handful of, I'm watching the time, don't worry people. If I have a handful of apple seeds, and in my mind, I'm telling myself, I'm convincing, actually, I've already convinced myself, right Tracy, you with me here? Watch, but you got watch my hands. You've got to watch my hands. <laughs> I'm, I've convinced myself that I'm going to put these seeds in the ground and I'm going to reap a harvest of oranges. That, that's it. That's where my faith is. Is it possible? It, don't be scared, Tracy. You can say no. In no way, shape, or form. Why? Because the seed can only inherently, that's the operative term. The seed, the apple seed, can only inherently reproduce itself after its own kind. It cannot produce with it what what it hasn't been designed by God to produce. Therefore, when we yield our bodies as instruments of unrighteousness to do things that are not seemly, in the King James text, for a believer, for a child of God, what's going to be the end result? Galatians chapter six verse eight. If you yield your body to the flesh, you shall reap corruption. I don't know about you, but John ten ten says the devil came to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus says, "I have come that you might have life, and that you may have it more, that you may have it more abundantly." Although my salvation may not be in question here my wonderful, fruitful life this side of heaven is. I don't know about you, but I want to be productive. I want to honor my God. I want to be a true worshiper. How about you, Janine? I want to be a true worshiper, not just today here on on Sunday, but every day of my life. I want to be a true worshiper, especially when I find myself, get it, ready, ready for it? When I find myself alone. By myself. Nobody looking over my shoulder. I want God to look down upon me and say, That's my son. How about you? It's God's people. How are we living with regard to this issue of sin? Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2 puts it this way. I love these verses. I love them all. (laughs) I just love them all. I might. I think I should stop saying this is my favorite verse because I think I said it um, concerning all the verses that I've read so far since I've been here. I just love the Bible. I love the Word of God. But concerning this this commitment thing, concerning this devotion, what does it look like for you and I as believers? What Should it look like for you and I as believers, as true worshipers? Paul the Apostle, Romans chapter 12. A verse that everybody, two verses that everybody here, I'm sure, are acquainted with. Romans 12, 1 and 2. Write that down. Paul the Apostle declares... I beseech you, therefore, brethren, brethren, he was talking about brethren, he was talking about us, he was talking about this association of churches, this, to us, how about that? I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service, in other words, It's what's expected from you. And be not conformed to this world, but be you transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is God's good and perfect and acceptable will. The only way that you and I can live out this identity as a true worshiper of the Almighty God is to yield ourselves completely completely to Him. Amen, church. We have to yield ourselves completely to Him. Those of you that are leaders here in the church, you know what your assignment is. But don't make the mistake of thinking that your assignment has been given to you by somebody here in the church. That's never been the case. The reality is, it is God who has called us into this wonderful life called Christianity. It is God who has given me instruction concerning my role here as a church. Am I perfect at it? By no means. It's going to take me years. Some of you are scratching here. Oh, boy. Really? It takes time. It takes time. But as God's people, remember, God is the one who has called you to serve Him In spirit and in truth. Next week we're going to talk about just that. What does it mean? What does it look like to worship Him in spirit and in truth? I intentionally left that out. Because I want to build up to something. I'm getting somewhere. But it begins with understanding the message of the cross. The message of the cross. The message of the gospel. What is the word of God? What is its place, or at least what ought to be its place in our lives? And we have to understand this sin issue. He settled it at the cross. He took upon Himself the sin of mankind. He opened up a new way for mankind to escape the damnation of hell. And for those of us who are in Christ Jesus... Romans 8, one. There is now therefore no condemnation. It's a wonderful thing. It's a glorious thing. But what about the quality of life that we should be living this side of heaven because we are saved? Because we are saved. Let's pray. Bow your heads. Father, we thank You this morning for this message and we humble ourselves in your presence Father I'm so thankful for your word the Bible says that you have been looking for true worshipers, not perfect people but true worshipers. we talked about King David Lord God this morning in Sunday school He was by no means perfect. In fact, he committed grievous sins. But yet you considered him in a very special way, the apple of your eye, because of where his heart was in terms of worship. David, thousands of years ago, he understood this concept. I pray, Heavenly Father, that you help us today To understand what it means to be a true worshiper. What is the role of worship in my life as a child of God? This side of heaven. In this church. In this body of believers. Father, we thank You so much for settling the issue of sin at the cross. And for freeing us. And offering us your unconditional, unmerited favor. Today we can walk in newness of life. Because of what you did on the cross long ago. But Heavenly Father, I know that in order for me to fulfill your purpose for my life. I have to understand the role of worship in my heart because you are holy I too therefore shall, should be holy Father I love you, we love you we thank you and we praise you these things we pray and ask in Jesus name and God's people say God bless you guys I will see you next Sunday, next Sunday look over the passage just a little bit more we're going to be discussing primarily from the verses 23 and 24, um, true worshipers in spirit and in truth. God bless you guys. If you do not already currently have my phone number, I'm not sure if it's in the bulletin, is it? It is in the bulletin, my, my number? My cell phone number, is it? You know it? Okay, cool. Well, listen, please, reach out to me. I want to make my way into your living room please i want to i want to be god's servant to you please don't miss this please don't miss this i want to be god's servant to you i don't want to have any free time I, I don't want any free time that's not why i'm here that's not what you're not paying me so that i can enjoy my life on my own terms that's not why i'm here that's, that's not, it's just not going to happen. I don't want that to be the case. Listen, just send me back. Just, just send me back. I want to, I want to minister. I want to cry with you. I want to laugh with you. I want to eat with you. Amen, somebody. Um, give me a call if, if necessary. If you, if you should need a call. Yes. Okay. Okay. So if you got a photographic memory, here it is, 267-975-8091. 267-975-8091. I've had it 15 years at least, probably closer to 20, and I'm always going to have it as long as I can help it. 267-975-8091. God's people, God bless you guys. Have a great week.